Well, hey, everyone. How are y'all doing today? Good, good. Hey, East Cobb Church. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Dickens, and I'm the pastor of East Cobb Church. For the past two weeks, we've been in the middle of our Christmas series called The Day After Christmas. And that's because there is a big difference between the magic of Christmas Day and the reality of the day after, isn't there? I don't know what you do on the day after Christmas, whether you chill out around the house, you start taking down decorations, you clean up from the day before, or you, I don't know, veg on the couch and watch movies or go shopping. Uh, but whatever you do, there's a big difference between those two days. And the same was true of the first Christmas. Uh, it, it, as we saw in the, the last two weeks, there was what happened, and then there was the aftermath of what happened. And as we've been talking about in the last two weeks, that, um, that aftermath, that the ripple effect of Christmas Day was very significant because as we've been talking about, it wasn't just on Christmas, it wasn't just that a baby had been born, but a king. A king had been born. A king had secretly entered the world with the intent to rule and the world would never be the same. And that is the part of Christmas that sometimes we miss. I mean, it's so clearly how the Christmas story reads, but sometimes we lose sight of that fact because it gets watered down when it's told sometimes, or we just grow so accustomed to it that we don't really realize it anymore. But don't forget, that's what the angel said when he came to Mary. You remember this? Maybe you will, he says this to Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And then check this out. The, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. The angel was telling Mary that a king was going to be born. The same is true for the Magi. You know, the guys that rolled into town to, to go find Jesus. Here's what they said that they were looking for when they came into town. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? They were looking for a king. Herod immediately understood what was going on and he discerned the same thing. This is what he did when he heard the news. He said when he had collected, uh, called together all the peoples and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Not rabbi, not new child, the Messiah. This in Greek is the word Christos, which is where we get Jesus Christ, which is not, by the way, his last name. It is his title. This is the, the, the Hebrew word for anointed one, an anointed ruler that was to come. Christmas was about a king. Christmas was about a king. And we saw in the last two weeks, as Andy's been teaching, two very different responses to that king from two characters in the story, from the Magi and from King Herod. Two representatives of worldly power have two very different responses to this coming king. One bows down and the other resists and eventually declares war. Christmas is about a king. And the question of this series so far has been simply this, is he your king? Is he your king? That's the central question that we're meant to take away from the Christmas narrative. Because don't forget, you remember the angelic announcement to the shepherds on that Christmas day or that Christmas night? Uh, they said it this way, the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you, unto you, unto you, not someone far away, not someone in a palace in a place of power, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, and he is Messiah, the Lord. And if you get nothing else over the last two weeks, I hope you at least got this, that the reason this king inaugurated his reign, not from a palace, but from a manger, and the reason his birth was announced first to ordinary shepherds, just like ordinary people, just like you and me, is because he was born unto you. And he wanted that to be unmistakably clear. A king was born and he was born unto you and me. 
And, and, and of course, that feels pretty nice to say, but it's also pretty sobering because it forces us to a decision point. Once you read that, you can no longer just sit on the sidelines. You can no longer remain neutral. You can no longer uh, sit back and watch. A king has been born unto you. And the only appropriate question is, is he your king or not? And if we were candid and brutally honest today and we all went around and answered that or those watching online or, or just in your friend group, if you had people were honest enough to actually answer this question, what we would find is that our answers might be kind of all over the map. I mean, some of us would say, no, he's not my king. No offense, not trying to be critical. It's just not for me. It's just not my thing. No, thank you. Others of us would say, yeah, I, I think Jesus is my king. Sure, I, I feel like I've tried to live that way. Uh, most of us though might probably be somewhere in here like, yeah, I mean, like, sort of, you know? Like, he's, he's sort of my king. I mean, he's king of some things in my life and some others. I mean, you know, not so much, let's just be honest. Uh, he's, like, he's a percentage king in my life. That might be where a lot of us, if we were being brutally honest, or if others could look in and actually evaluate, that might be where we fall. If we were to answer this question, is he your king for ourselves? I mean, the truth is we would all be kind of all over the map. And here's why. Because the idea of Jesus being king sounds nice on Christmas day. Or on Christmas Eve night, you know, when the candles are lit and the cattle are lowing, okay? You know, it sounds wonderful. But on the day after Christmas, when we have to go back to real life with real decisions and real priorities and real problems and real issues and real people and real hopes and dreams and real to-do lists, well, then it's a little bit different story, right? I mean, on Christmas Day, we all feel kind of a little bit like the Magi, like, yeah, let's do this. This is great. On the day after Christmas, we start to feel a little bit more like Herod, you know, minus the murdering, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, on, on Christmas Day, you know, we, we all feel a little bit pious at the church services and the magic moments. But on the day after Christmas, we all start to feel a little bit more pragmatic. I think we all know that there's a world of difference between playing along on Christmas Day and actually practicing it on the day after Christmas. And here's why there's this disparity, even in my own heart and my own experience. And it's, it's because of this truth right here. The story of a king is sweet. Oh, baby Jesus. So cute. Look at the little manger scene out there. We should have had, we should have got some of y'all just make a manger scene out there. Y'all see it coming. The story of a king is sweet. But the reality of a king is scary. Isn't that true? The story of a king, oh, that's sweet. Tell it again, tell it again. But oh, the reality of a king. No, that's a little more scary because let's be honest, y'all. When I'm watching TV, I don't even like someone else to have the remote, you know? <laughs> when it comes to my car, I don't want somebody else even driving it, especially if I'm in it. I'm like, no thanks, I'm taking the wheel. When it comes to my kids, I don't want somebody else parenting them without my permission. I'm like, no way, get out of here, are you kidding me? I don't want somebody else making decisions for me without consulting me. I don't like that, neither do you. I don't like it when somebody's controlling my own destiny. That just rubs me the wrong way. I bristle when that happens. And you mean to tell me that a king has come who wants me to follow him like full time, like with my whole life, with my past, my present and my future? wants me to follow him with my character and my decisions and my profession and my ambitions and my pastimes and my leisure activities and my moral choices and my relationships and my hopes and dreams. Like, whoa. Okay, that's, a, that's like a whole nother story. That's a whole nother ball game. On Christmas day, I mean, that sounds sweet and all, but on the day after Christmas, that, that's a little more scary. Or some of you might say that's just plain stupid or silly. Are, are you kidding me? And, and if you're not a Christian or you're watching online, you're not a Christian, you're just tuning in. And um, it's a, it, this is, might be why this last two weeks of when Andy's been presenting this content, maybe that's the emotion you've been feeling the whole time. You're like, wait, 
this is just silly. I mean, are you serious? Like, what is up with these people? Why would anybody want, why would anybody opt into a king? I mean, a religion and a value system, fine, but like King Jesus, no thanks. No thanks. I'm not down for that. And, and for, for many more of us, though, in the room who are Christians, uh, this right here might be why <laughs> these last two weeks has been one of the most unsettling Christmas series you've ever heard preached. I know it has been for me. And you're sitting there going like, hey, listen, I mean, I was like pretty comfortable when we were talking about like Silent Night and, and the nostalgia of all this and like the basic deets of the Christmas story. Like we could have just stayed there, but man, talking about like the call of King Jesus on my life. Okay, now you're stepping on my toes a little bit. Now you're making me a little bit uncomfortable. That's a little bit unsettling. And, he, and here's why, because you struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. And your faith is in the same place that my faith has been so many times along my faith journey. And that's this, that you are a, a full-time believer, but only a percentage follower of Jesus. You're a full-time believer, but only a percentage follower of King Jesus. Like there's some areas of your life where like right on, I'm doing what he says, his way, you know, right away. And then there's just some areas where you're like, nah, I'm gonna kind of manage this one on my own. There's some areas of your life where you're just open-handed with him. Like, hey, you're in charge. I want your will for my life. And then there's other areas where you just kind of tend like I do to kind of pose your hands in and go like, I'm gonna control this and I'm gonna make my own, call, my own shots. I'm a full-time believer, but I, you know, I struggle with being a full, uh, percentage follower and to embrace Christmas, like to really embrace Christmas, like we've been talking about, you're feeling it. It would require you to do this, like with your whole life. And that's unsettling. It's really sweet on Christmas day. It's a little more scary on the day after Christmas when real life sets back in. And yet the part of the narrative that kind of hits us in the face is this, that it was on the day and the days after Christmas that the shepherds continued to worship. It was in those days after Christmas that the Magi actually showed up and bowed down. It was in the days, months, years after the birth of Jesus that his disciples would begin to follow him. It was in the days and the months and the years after Jesus's birth that believers in Antioch would first be called Christians, a political term that was designated to them by the community because everyone watching quickly understood these people hadn't just changed religions, they changed allegiances. They no longer followed Caesar as king. They followed King Jesus. It happened in the days after Christmas. And the question that naturally arises is simply, well, what did they know that we don't? Or what did they know that we have a tendency to forget sometimes? What did those people know that maybe sometimes we let grow stale or kind of lose its luster in our hearts? I mean, because they weren't any different than us. But clearly, clearly, they knew something that made the idea of bowing to Jesus not only palatable, but attractive. I mean, after all, the shepherds and the magi, they, didn't, they came rushing to the manger. They weren't like dragged kicking and screaming. What did they know? What did they know? And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what did they know that made them rush to the manger to bow to this king? And here's what they knew in a nutshell. Uh, what they knew was, was not simply that a king had been born. They knew the kind of king that had come. They knew, sim they knew simply not, not simply that a king had come. They knew the kind of king that had come. And they were tipped off by the angels, by the way. You remember the angelic announcement that I just read like this? They said, hey, unto you, 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Now, I realize on the surface, you, you might not really hear anything that descriptive about the kind of king that was going to be born. Uh, and, and it's not, this is a pretty bare bones statement, which why, by the way, just a side note, I'm pretty sure that all these angels were men. Because have you ever heard the difference between a man's account and a woman's account of a baby being born? <laughs> In our household, when one of our friends has a baby, um, you know, my wife can give you a novel about all that has happened. When it's like I who received the news, I go, hey, you know, the so-and-so's had their baby. And then I'm done, like the end. That's the end of my story. My wife will pull out like her phone and start scrolling Instagram and peppering me with questions like, what's her name? And I'm like, ah, it's like Kristen. She's like, no, it's Caroline. Um, when was she born? Oh, uh, like last night. No, no, it was this morning at 8.39. I'm like, I don't know any of these details. Did you not ask? No, I didn't think to ask any of those questions. All I know, offspring alive. That's it. That's all I got to offer you. And, uh, and I, that's why I'm like convinced that these were like men angels. They had like very little detail to offer. Uh, if women angels had been there, I presume they would have been like, hey, hello, good news, great joy. A baby's been born. He's, you know, five pounds, six ounces, doing great, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Here's his chart and his blood work and 400 pictures if you'd like to look at any of those. Uh, and oh, the mother's doing fine. It was a really long labor, but I mean, two big pushes and he came out and we've been feeding two feedings, had a little bit of tough time latching, but we're working on it, little buddy. And uh, visitation hours are actually for the next three hours. So you guys wanna hurry on and get there. Okay, so you're gonna go into Bethlehem, take a right and then go down the road into the, like, the, the, like, the stable over there and you're gonna go in and you wanna be really quiet. Little drummer boy, you do not need to play. I don't know what you're thinking, put the drum down. Oh, and here's a gift because I knew you wouldn't have one. So go, we'll see you there. You know, that would have been the women angels rendition of this moment, I'm convinced. Um, but anyway, so on the surface, I don't know why I just went into all that, but uh, on, the, um, on the surface of things, you're like, hey, there's not a whole lot of detail. You're not signaling to me at all what kind of king has been born. Simply that one has been born. And that is because of our non-Jewish ears. To a Jewish thinker, and especially to a Jew who knew the Torah and knew the Bible and knew the prophecies, when the shepherds heard this phrase, for unto you is born this day, in the city of David, those words rang with familiarity. It would be like somebody starting a speech with, I have a dream, or four score and seven years ago, or someone starting a prayer with, dear five pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. You know, you would have, you immediately go like, oh, I know that. That's from something. I know, in fact, I know where that's from. I've heard that before when the shepherds heard these words uttered by the angels, it rang with familiarity of words spoken in ages past and carefully handed down from generation to generation. These words echoed and they mirrored the words, the famous messianic prophecy of Isaiah from hundreds and hundreds of years ago when he said this right here, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. He is going to rule. For unto us a child is born. Same language, same context, one spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before, famously and carefully handed down generation to generation, and then one spoken by angels to shepherds who go, oh, we know that. I know what, I've heard that before. Remember the rabbi? Yeah, yeah, he, read, he, he always reads that passage from Isaiah, that really famous one. Yeah. Now in this prophecy though, what's interesting is that unlike the angelic account, unlike Luke's account, after this statement right here, Isaiah goes on to vividly paint a picture of the kind of king that would be born. And what he says next, and my, what I would submit to you, is the why behind Christmas. It's the why 
behind Christmas. Like if you're not a Christian, what he says next is why you ought to seriously consider making this king your king, I believe. And if you are a Christian, what he says next is why you ought to decide to be way more than just a percentage follower of him. And what he says next is this, he actually gives us four names and his name will be called. And this is a big concept in Jewish and in Hebrew thought. When in, in Hebrew culture, and Eastern culture, your name was more than something that you were called. Your name was an identity, right? Your name was, were qualities that you would in, in, in embody. Your, your name was a destiny. I mean, think Abraham. Anybody know what Abraham's name meant? Yeah, father of many nations. Don't be shy, you can talk in church. There's no wall here. Um, Father of many nations, it wasn't just what he was called, it's who he was and it was who he was gonna be. And so when Isaiah says, and his name shall be called, what he's saying, and this is the kind of king he's gonna be. This is who he's gonna be. And the four names that he gives us describe not only the kind of king that he's gonna be, but what makes him different from every other king on planet earth in the history of the world. The four names describe how he, uh, why his birth, I mean, was good news and great joy for all peoples. And it, it's, it's the why behind why the shepherds and the magi and all who came after his so many were eager to rush to him to bow. This is the why. And I would love to submit those names to you for your consideration and for your heart and for your family as we journey through this Christmas week together. Because name number one that he says, and it's so beautiful, this is so beautiful, so packed into this one moment with the shepherds, all of this meaning, these four names, the first name he says, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everybody say wonderful counselor. You've heard that before. Wonderful counselor. So this word counselor is not as in therapist. It's as in advisor or mentor or strategist. And I know when we say wonderful counselor that it sounds like a little bit cheesy, you know, because we say wonderful so much that it kind of has almost lost its meaning. But this word in the Hebrew is it's a really strong, beautiful word, a wonderful counselor. What he means is he's gonna be an advisor who leads you so well that you will marvel. You will just be filled with wonder and amazement. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a one, he'll be a wonder-causing counselor. He's gonna be the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path that King David sang of in the Psalms. That's who he's gonna be. And sure enough, that's who he was. Because this baby grew up to be a rabbi and y'all, when this rabbi preached, you can read about it in the Bible, when this rabbi preached, the people marveled. I mean, they marveled. In fact, it's recorded in the Bible and in other texts. It's recorded that the people said that when he speaks, when he teaches, it's not like the other rabbis. He teaches with this word, this thing that they called shmicha. Shmicha is a Hebrew word that means authority and divine counsel. They're like, when he teaches, it's like he's speaking from God. And when he's done, our minds are just blown. It's, it, was, it was phenomenal. I mean, and, and it was true. I mean, this baby is the one who grew up. This wonderful counselor baby is the one who grew up and who taught us things like, I, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. That's the new standard for human interaction across the whole planet that's changed Western civilization. He's the one who would grow up and teach us not to repay evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. How many people, Martin Luther King, for example, have used that one principle to change the trajectory of a civilization and of a country. He's the one who would grow up and teach us to guard our hearts for they're the wellspring of life and it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, so be aware. He's the one that would teach us, he was one that grow up and teach us about grace. 
that no matter who you're talking about, there's no one on the planet that doesn't get another chance. Whether it's Zacchaeus in a tree or a woman caught in adultery, grace is available to you. He's the one who would grow up and teach the whole world about human value, that every single person that you lock eyeballs with is somebody that God made in his image and that Jesus died for, and therefore they have immense value. And you better treat them accordingly. Even the foreign Samaritan woman at the well or the oppressive centurion Roman that Jesus met on the road, doesn't matter who you're looking at, they have incredible value. He's the one that would grow up and teach us about relationships and priorities, about success and failure, about prosperity and hardship, about love and hate. He's the one who would teach us the the meaning of life and the measure of a life. He's the one who would teach us how to live in the here and now and how to prepare for the life that is to come. And when he did, he did it with shmiha. I mean, everybody who was around is like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like he knows us. It's like he knows me. And it's like he knows the way. When he speaks, it's just, I I have this conviction that if I were to do what he says, I would be who I was made to be. And the angels giving this announcement, they knew this, obviously. They're like, hey, unto you has been born this day a king. And oh yeah, like Isaiah said, he's a wonderful counselor. He is the light of the world. Light for the world, light for your world. And my friends, what I hope what I hope catches you off guard and stirs your heart, whether it's for the first time or for the 500th time this Christmas, is the simple fact that on Christmas day, a king was born unto you and he is the wonderful counselor. A counselor who wants to light your world. A counselor who wants to light your way forward. Who wants to make your life better and make you better at life. Who wants to bring shmicha to your relationships and your decisions and your dilemmas and your problems and your confusions and your hopes and dreams and your endeavors and all of them. And what if that's the kind of king? What if that's the kind of king that was born unto you? Wouldn't it change everything? The shepherds and the magi, they believed that it would. And that is why, reason number one, that's why, my friends, that's why you ought to seriously consider making this king your king. And it's why you ought to decide to be so much more than just a percentage follower because he's not just any king. He is the wonderful counselor. But Isaiah goes on, he says, not only that, his name will be called Mighty God. We don't need any investigation of that term. That's pretty obvious what that means. He's like, this king that's gonna be born, he's gonna be mighty God. He's gonna be the rock and fortress and deliverer that King David sang of in the Psalms. He's gonna be the same God and same ruler whose plans will prevail no matter what earthly power comes against him that Solomon writes about in the Proverbs. He's gonna be the God that's so huge that he says to Isaiah, hey, the heavens are like my throne and the earth is like my footstool. That God, he's gonna be the same God and the same ruler and the same king who's so powerful that when he speaks, stuff just happens instantly. Like so much so that he spoke our universe into being as described in Genesis, if you've ever read that. Like that's the kind of king that's been born. Not just God, mighty God, like almighty God, all powerful, all knowing, all present God. That's his name. And when this almighty God, this mighty God took on flesh and walked among us, His friends got to experience it firsthand, his might. One of my favorite stories and examples of that is the time that the disciples were in a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. You remember this story? And this big storm comes along and the wind and the waves, they get so crazy. The disciples are convinced like we're done. The boat's gonna capsize, we're gonna drown and this is over. And they look over at Jesus and he is sound asleep in their boat. And they're so irritated. They're like, 
what are you doing? You know, and they wake him up with what you imagine is great frustration. And they're like, how in the world, Jesus, can you sleep in the middle of this storm? And 15 seconds later, they found out why. Because Jesus wakes up and he looks at the wind and the waves and he commands them to be still. And they are. And the gospels record their reaction. They go, who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves command him? To which Isaiah responds, let me tell you, his name is Mighty God. And he was born on Christmas Day. And these same disciples, they would go on to... um, See firsthand him demonstrate power over sickness and disease and disability, demonstrate power over hatred and racism and dysfunction and perversion and discord. See him exercise power over the laws of nature time and time again, like physics, biology, just he does whatever he wants. Uh, See him demonstrate power over uh, demons and the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and all that stuff. And then to their utter shock, they would see him die on a cross for the sins of the world and three days later rise from the dead. And you're like, how? And the answer is because almighty God was born on Christmas day. And he didn't just command the wind and the waves. He had authority over sin and he had power over death itself. Isn't that cool? That's what Isaiah's talking about. And my friends, what I hope catches you off guard and stirs your heart, whether for the first time or the 500th time this Christmas, I hope it's the fact, the realization that on Christmas day, a king was born unto you and he is almighty God, a God who wants to get in your boat of life and be with you wherever you go. Why? Because he can command the wind and the waves. And what if you could have that kind of certainty? What if you could know with certainty in your life that no matter what storms come your way, that though many may be bigger than you, they're never gonna be bigger than him. Though many may be overwhelming to you and they could overcome you, they're never gonna overcome him. Though they, many may come that can outpace your resources and your ability, they're never gonna outpace his resources and ability. Though many storms of life are gonna come that are gonna terrify you, there is never gonna be a storm that even worries him. In fact, he might look at it and yawn. Why? Because he's almighty God. And with a word, with a word, he can exert his power to help you navigate and survive and even redeem the worst storms of life. He's almighty God. What if that's the kind of king that had been born unto you? Might that change things? It did for the shepherds. It did for the magi. And that's reason number two why you ought to consider making this king your king. And you ought to decide to be so much more than just a percentage follower if you are. Because he's not just any king. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Isaiah goes on, he says, uh, but he's also gonna be called uh, everlasting father. This is a cool term, I love this one. He's gonna be the everlasting father, this king. He's gonna be the father who never leaves, the father who never gives up, the father who never quits, the father who never fails you. (laughs) Y'all, I'm telling you, I know we've heard this term before. In fact, I preached a whole sermon just on this one word right here, uh, you know, earlier this year about how God is our heavenly father. But I don't want us to skip by it too quickly this afternoon, because I'm telling you, this is odd. The fact that he is gonna be called everlasting father. I mean, think about that for a second. What Isaiah is saying is that a king is gonna be born. A king has been born on Christmas day and he is not inviting you to be his vassal. He's inviting you to be his family. Think about that for a second. He wants to know you and you to know him. He wants to love you and spend time with you and enjoy you and take care of you and lead you and invest in you like a father. 
And man, I'm telling you, if the first two didn't pique your curiosity and make you kind of interested in this king, I think this one ought to. I mean, just think about this in real terms. What Isaiah is saying here is that a king has been born and he's inviting you to be a son or daughter in his kingdom. A king has been born and he's inviting you functionally to be a prince and princess in his kingdom. Not in terms of the power that you wield, but of the attention you command of the access you have. One of the preachers I listened to, Tim Keller, uh, he tweeted this the other day, uh, it was a while back, and I think it was at 3 a.m. because it popped up on my phone. And I I read it and I was like, what? And he said, who can wake up the king at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water, presumably while still keeping their head? His response was obvious, his child. Who can wake up a king at 3 a.m. just to ask for a glass of water? Well, his child can. And Isaiah's saying, yeah, that's you. That's you. You, somehow, you have the eye and the ear and the heart of a king because he's your everlasting father. And man, I don't know about you, but that changes the thought of Christmas and the thought of a king for me. That's reason number three, why you should consider making this king your king, why you should decide to be so much more than just a percentage follower, if you are, of this king, because he's not just any king, he's, he wants to be. He's inviting you to be in a relationship with him as your everlasting father. I mean, what if a king had been born who didn't belong to some other people or some other family, he belonged to you? Or more accurately, he was inviting you to belong to him. I think that might change things. Uh, one more, and then, then we'll call it quits. Uh, the last one that Isaiah says, and this might be my favorite, he says, uh, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. There's an old school worship. Anybody remember the song Prince of Peace from the 90s? And I will sing to, and we're, no, okay. Um, somebody did. I saw somebody shaking, nodding their head. Uh, I remember singing that one in college. Uh, Prince of Peace, uh, he's, this king who's gonna be born, Isaiah says his name shall be called, he will be this kind of king. He will be the, the prince or the champion, the one given power and authority of peace. And in my humble opinion, this word peace is a very underexamined word in our faith. Uh, and specifically, if a, if a Jewish person was here, they would say, oh, no, no, you mean in our faith? Yeah, in, in the Jewish faith. Uh, because um, this word right here to a, a Jewish thinker and a Jewish theologian was loaded with meaning. That, meaning, this was written in Hebrew. So this was written by a Jewish person. Peace was a loaded word. Uh, it, it's just this one right here. Peace, you've seen this maybe. You've, seen, you've heard of the word shalom? That's the word, prince of shalom that he writes there. And shalom, while certainly in English is translated peace, and that's not a bad translation, Uh, It means so much more than peace to a Hebrew in the Hebrew language. Uh, What this word really means is is this idea of completeness. That's what shalom means. He's the prince of shalom. Well, shalom means completeness. Here's how to describe what shalom is. Shalom means that all is well because all is as it should be. All is well because all is as it should be. And shalom started right at the very beginning of our story. Uh, If you've ever read the Genesis account, it says God created the world and on the seventh day he rested. And his assessment of creation was that it was very good. All was as it should be. Creation was complete. The world was in shalom. Mankind was at peace with himself or herself, at peace with one another and at peace with God. All was well because all was as it should be. But then the story tells us sin entered the world and shattered our peace. 
And we were thrown into conflict with ourselves, like who am I and am I enough and why do I keep doing things that undermine my future and my well-being? We were thrown into conflict with one another, like who are you and why do you have things that I want to have and who, why do you talk, think, look, act different than me and what's up with that? And it threw us into conflict with our Heavenly Father, a people meant to be in his family going our own way and saying no to God and rebelling against his rule and his way. That's our beginning story. And the Hebrew would tell you that very quickly. Yo, that's our, that's our beginning story. Shalom created and then lost. And you know exactly what that feels like. I know you do, because I do. You know what it feels like to want, to ache for shalom, for the world the way it was meant to be. And what is so crazy about this last thing that Isaiah says? What's so revolutionary about this last thing, Prince of Peace, that Isaiah says, he's like, hey, the day is coming when a prince of peace is going to be born and he's gonna have the power to restore shalom to your soul. He's gonna be able to bring shalom back to our community and our country and our society as a world. He's gonna have the power to bring shalom back to your relationship with God. The world, the way it was meant to be. You, the way you were meant to be. Isn't that cool? So much better than just Prince of Peace, right? Well, that's what Isaiah means when he says that. And what I hope stirs your heart, maybe catches you off guard this Christmas for the first time or the 500th time, is simply this. Like, what if Prince of Peace really was born? What if he really was born? Because that's what happened. That's what happened. I told you uh, in, the, in the beginning that there was, I thought, a reason that the announcement of the king was to shepherds you know, so that everybody would know that it was unto you, to normal people. It wasn't in some palace somewhere. But I think there's a second reason that the announcement was made to shepherds. Uh, and it actually has nothing to do with the shepherds. It actually has something to do with the sheep, okay? And uh, the shepherds, they may be random, but these sheep in Bethlehem, they were actually not random. Did you know this? Uh, Bethlehem is about eight miles away from Jerusalem. And these sheep, and this is known, these sheep had a specific purpose in their life. And their purpose in life was to be used in sacrifices for sins eight miles down the road at the temple in Jerusalem. And it was to the caretakers of these sheep that the first announcement of Jesus' birth had come. And, and which if you're reading the narrative from start to finish, that might seem a little bit random at first until you get to the part of the story when John the baptizer, a prophet, is standing on the banks of the Jordan River and he points to Jesus, the man, and he says, look, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Oh, because Jesus hadn't come to simply live. He had come to die for your sin and for my sin. He had come to forgive us and heal us of sin so that he could restore to us peace. Peace with ourselves, peace with one another, and peace with God. And what if that's true? What if Jesus really can restore shalom to you and to us and between us and God? What if he can restore things, restore us to the way it was meant to be? My friends, I believe that he can, and I believe that's probably the greatest reason why you should consider making this king your king. And why you should decide to be so much more than a percentage follower. Because he's not just any king. He really is the prince of peace. The prince of shalom. So here's my point as I close. My point is this. Uh, yeah, Christmas is about a lot of things. But perhaps over these three weeks with Andy starting the series and with what we're talking about today, perhaps you're realizing that Christmas is about way more than you knew. It's about a king who's come. I mean, yes, it's about Santa and decorations and songs and food and family and the, 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 
nativity and all the, the things that we do and the festivities and all that. But that, those are just the extra side of stuff. Christmas at its core is about a king, a king who came to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, and your prince of peace. And the question of the series, certainly the question of this whole season, and the question of today is just the same one. Is he your king? Is he your king? And if not, what I'd love to invite you to do, I would love to invite you to consider it like never before, the story of Christmas. We're not gonna meet again here in this month. We'll pick back up services in January, but between now and then, I'd love to invite you. If Jesus isn't your king, I'd love to. What do you gotta lose? You owe it to yourself. You might as well consider it like never before. I would love for you to consider King Jesus and his invitation to you to make him your king. Why? Because of the names of who he is that Isaiah tells us about. And I don't know if that, what that means for you. Maybe it means asking somebody a question or maybe it means reading something online or maybe it means actually trying to pray to him, but I would love to invite you to consider it like never before. But if Jesus is your king, I'd love to invite you to apply it like never before. I'd love to ask yourself, hey, hey, where are you a percentage follower? Where are you a percentage follower of this king? Like I know there's areas where you're you know, following him open-handed, but where have you like me been tempted to kind of close your hands and what's he put in front of you right now that you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. And I would love for you to consider spending these next couple of weeks applying it, applying what we're talking about today like never before and just like going all in and following Jesus. Well, starting with whatever he's put in front of you right now. Which one of these do you need to do? Do you need to consider it like never before or do you need to apply it like never before? That's my wish for you in these next couple of weeks until we meet again. And so I'd love to close. It's our last church service of the year and I just love to close <laughs> with the angelic message one more time. It was given to people like you and me because this king had come for people like you and me. And, uh, and so I just wanna pass on the angelic message that really was meant for you. And here's what they said once again. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for you, for you, for you, for me. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find this baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then they all sing together, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And that's my prayer for you. May, may the good news and great joy of the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace be yours at Christmas. May it be yours at Christmas. And may you and those that you love, may you experience more and more of the abundant life that comes, that happens when you make this king your king. Because he really is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. And he wants to be your Prince of Peace. Let me pray for you and we'll dismiss for the day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what happened on Christmas Day that unto us a king was given, was born, and he came unto us. And he is our wonderful counselor, our almighty God, our everlasting father, and he's our prince of peace. And I just pray that we be able to take that knowledge and that amazing news from Christmas day onto the day after Christmas and all the days after Christmas, that we'd actually make this king our king. And we would decide to just go all in following you and trusting you with every part of our lives. And I just pray that that would be a reality, reality in my life, that the, the, the kingdom of Jesus, would, it would be true in my life, that he would be my king fully and totally all the days of my life. 
And we just worship you and we thank you that you came for us on this day so that you could be our wonderful counselor, mighty God, and our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. You are amazing and we are so grateful. And we just pray that you'd, amidst all the festivities of this week, would you bring that truth to the forefront that in the middle of Christmas, we might worship you for who you are, the King that has come for us. And may we respond the only way we can by saying, yes, that King, he's my King. That King is my King. And may we rejoice in Jesus' name, amen.